0: This edition of the Heart of Giving podcast is honoring the BBB Luminaire Award for Service winners. The award honors individuals who prioritize philanthropy and have made a meaningful impact through their charitable initiatives. The award celebrates qualities of compassion, volunteerism, and community leadership. We hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate, and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode.
0: Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. We've been doing a series of interviews that highlight and celebrate the winners of the Luminaire Award that we started this year to acknowledge and to thank people in the Pacific Northwest in particular from the BBB communities there that are doing great work in the community and to hold them up so that others might see their great work and take the step to engage in community building activities themselves. Today with me is Jeff Thung. Jeff is the CEO and founder of JLT Web Solutions. It's a company that helps small businesses develop their websites and other technologies so that they can be more effective business owners and better market their businesses. But Jeff is far more than a business owner. He's also a person deeply concerned about his cultural heritage and the community that he was born in and how it is able to succeed here in the United States. So Jeff, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast.
2: Well, thank you, Art, for sharing the stage with me on the Heart of Giving podcast. It's great to be here with you.
0: Well, Jeff, I want to get right into our interview and really help our audience understand more about you and your passion. Now, we know you have a company, JLT Web Solutions, but there's a backstory for how that company got started, and I'd love to hear about that. And then I want to get into some of your philanthropic work.
2: Sure. I, I was born in Laos uh, as a kid, flee the communist persecution from the U.S.-CIA secret war that when the U.S. withdrew from the war and we had to spend uh, nine years in the refugee camp, then U.S. granted us asylum to come to the United States. When we land here, we struggle quite a bit. And there was uh, church members that sponsored my family, demonstrates much love and support to my family. So I was inspired to become a social worker. I went to school to become social worker. I worked as a social worker for uh, seven years. And during that time, we decided to start a business, a restaurant. And during that time, I bought a website where this was the mid 2000 technology boom, digital marketing was a frontier. And I have a little bit of fascination in technology and creativity in me. And I couldn't get that company to get the website to work the way I wanted to. And I look around, I look at my other business colleagues. They tr- struggle similar challenge as I was. So I thought to myself, what if I go to school to learn how to do this? How hard can it be, right? So I went to school working full time, running business full time, went to school full time to learn how to do what I do today. And I came out, I couldn't get a contract because I had education, but I didn't have experience. So I took a job like school district in the IT department, managing the web and app team, digital media team, and launched my business as uh, a side hustle 2016 and kept it going And uh, 2020 when the pandemic hit. As you know, most business owners need to migrate to the virtual space to meet their prospective customers. I saw much need there. I left the school to run my business full time. And one of the things I noticed that uh, small business owners have much challenge is uh, they don't have time to mess with complicated technology. And they don't have the funding to hire big company to help them with that. So our passion is to help small business owners. We make technology simple. That's our tagline is find them easy web solutions and make sure the website is accessible, which is ADA compliant title three law that allow people with disability to learn about their business or their services. And those are the things that we are very passionate about helping small business owners overcome the technological challenge of today's society. So that's kind of like where we are today and really to help small business thrive in the community.
0: That's wonderful. But you mentioned something that I have to explore, and that is that you spent nine years in a refugee camp, you and your family. You as a young man, young boy, probably back then, And that could not have been easy. We were talking about your experience and how grateful you must feel now, having miraculously really been given the opportunity to leave Thailand and to come to the United States. And what that must feel like to you on a daily basis when you think about the people from your community to Yumian people. Tell us about the Umean society first, because I'm not sure many in the United States will have heard or understood that.
2: Sure. So the Yumian people don't have a country. We're an ethnic minority originally from China. There was some sort of civil war that kind of pushed the Umian out of China, even though now, even now, most Umean are still living in China, but those that got pushed out are scattered in Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, and America and France. But that's that's in the next uh, stage of the story. The Umean were predominantly in Thailand and Laos during the time of the Vietnam War. The result of the Vietnam War, which has created the secret war of the CIA, launched base in Thailand to bomb the communists in Laos and the U.S., military couldn't navigate the jungle, they recruited the Umean and the Hmong people to become the guerrilla, the ground force to fight the communists during the secret war. When the U.S. decided to pull out of the secret war, the Umean and the Hmong people were political refugees being persecuted by the communists that took over Laos. So to solve that problem, the U.N., U.S., and a number of the countries set up refugee camps in Thailand, Philippines, and a number of other countries around to receive those refugees and then redistribute them throughout the world. So the U.M.E.N., the Hmong, and the Vietnamese are distributed all over. Uh, mostly the U.M.E.N. came to the U.S., France, and Canada. A few go to Australia. But mostly uh, France, U.S., and Canada. So that's how the Umean end up here. And probably about twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 in the U.S., not a big population. But what is interesting is uh, the Umean are the population so small that it's not recognized by the U.S. government as ethnic group. And resources not allocated to that community so it's a hugely underserved community. That's why some of us who have made it in the U.S. and are successful, we want to give back to the community and help this community to advance in the society like other communities. So that's kind of like the base of our organization, That what we do right now.
0: But you also pointed out, that it was people who helped you through your church to get acclimated and to get adjusted to society here. And apparently that has, that has affected you in a way that has made you also want to give back. But let me, let me please, if you don't mind, go back to those days in your life when you were in a ref- refugee camp. What was that like? What was that experience like for you and how did that affect you as an older person?
2: Sure. Thank you for asking. It's a story a lot of people probably don't want to be retold, uh, retell because it was a very dark moment in our lives. The refugee camp to the, the rest of the world is a place of refuge. But when we're inside the refugee camp, what we experienced was starvation police brutality, rapes, all kinds of crazy things. As a young child, I I remember people were beaten to death on a barbed wire right in front of the school. The jail was right in front of the school. They would put people, animals in the same cell, and that's how they kept people in there. So because of the challenge in the way the food distribution system was the older a person in the family get a bigger portion of the food distributed to the family. My family had more kids than adults, so we couldn't really survive in the refugee camp. We had to escape out of the refugee camp to do farming to, to feed the family, which is illegal, by the way. And one other guy that got beat up, beat to death on Bob wire right in front of the school was he, went ex, he escaped out of the refugee camp to do manual labor to earn some more income for his family. But luckily, we were safely escaped out of the refugee camp uh, for a few years of farming. And then the Thai, this is in Thailand, by the way, the Thai government forces the refugees back to the camp because we weren't Thai citizens, we were political refugees from Laos to go back to the camp. Now remember, we left secretly. Now we had, can't go back secretly, so we went back to camp in public. So we got in jail again. And it was nightmare. You got six family with kids and screaming and yelling. So finally, the officials couldn't handle the loudness. They release us after they exploited all the money that we had. But we had to move from one camp to another. I went through six different refugee camps before we came to the United States. For various reasons, overflow, they just move us around. When we land in America, it was a total different life, you know, different world. We never, in our country, we would do farming. Here, you got to do everything by system, right? School system, healthcare, government, and that was foreign to us. It's like for people that use computer before you put an application, you gotta have operating system. Well, we didn't have operating system. We tried to put an application on how to survive in this country, right? And I I was at eight uh, fourteen at the time. I got dumped into eighth grade. I only went to school for eight uh six months, one uh two hours a day at the camp before we came. Didn't speak much English, fail every single class, including PE. So the church that sponsored us had to look around to see what school system has bilingual program to move my family to. And that's when I beginning to learn English, uh, work really hard to overcome the challenge. And to the help from the church, I got inspired to Get back to my community because I got so much out of that social support I want to give back. And that's why I went to college to become a social worker and work as a social worker for my almost first decade of my life.
0: So what was the church that sponsored you and your family? And how were you able to get connected with them?
2: So back then, World Relief... Uh, the Refugee Resettlement Program contract with World Relief, and World Relief has a number of churches that they found along the West Coast that willing to sponsor families. So what they do, this church that we went to is called Word of Life in Kent, Washington, and they decided they want to sponsor a family, and that means they would f- help that Family to resettle in the U.S., basically taking them to the clinic, register kids in school, uh, go shopping, learn how to use the bank, and pretty much the whole system in the U.S. They would walk us through and helping us with kids, with homework, so how we're-
0: Yeah, yeah, but let me, I want to just stop you for a minute because not every family, surely, was sponsored by one particular um, you know family from world life or whatever the church was world were so life. Yeah. so how was it how was it that your family was it just pure luck or serendipity or random or lottery how did how did your family get selected because you could still it could have happened differently right
2: right that's so true, and I think it's just random luck the the world belief. The church word of life. Someone in word of life is connected to world relief, mm-hmm. and I think is the connection that allowed them to know that there's a need, and they the church was willing to provide uh, to meet that need.
0: So they did. They take all of the families in your surrounding area, or just some?
2: No, at least my case. The church that we went to, we were the only family that were sponsored by them.
0: Wow, I mean, that's just unbelievable how how um, how fortunate you must see the situation at the time, you know to to see that there's someone out there thinking about you this way. Your organization is called the Mian International Enrichment Network. Right. Tell me about the work you're doing.
2: Yeah. So, as you know, I mentioned, I always uh, commit myself to the community. Even during high school, we had a nonprofit that helped youth to become drug free and uh, college. I incorporate a national nonprofit that helped youth to uh, overcome their challenges in the ghettos, the the urban city. And this particular one is the Mian International Enrichment Network. As the name says it, we're reaching out to Mian globally to help them advance in society. Now, why is that important? Mian are predominantly illiterate. We didn't even have our own writing system until the 1940s and not recognized globally until the 80s. So you can imagine a lot of people, Umean don't even read and write their own language. And we, you have to be able to read and write to be literate to advance in society to be at the same level as other society. And because of illiteracy, poverty is a big thing in the Umean community. Right now, many other communities that we go back to in Laos and Thailand and Vietnam have, um, the young people get to go to school and leaving the old people at home and the kids at home in the village that have no schooling. And they just living there. Older people just waiting to die. Younger people just running, big kids running around. And some of the, this is the part that really I never forget. This part of the story. I went back to the village and saw, some of the family actually sold the young girl to prostitution because they don't have food to feed the girl. At least if the girl's in prostitution, she's being fed by whoever bought her. And that was like a scar in in me. And I want to make sure we do something to help to change that narrative moving forward. The other thing in the U.S. is not that many Umean are very successful. Because we're coming from poverty, it takes a long time to climb that ladder. So the young people in America don't have a role model. Like, yeah, there's a lot of people successful. None of them look like me. So I must be the group that can succeed. So what we want to do is the organization is to partner a successful union or even non union with a young person so that they can look up and say, you know what? One day I can be like that. I can do it. So we want that kind of mentoring created in America so that we can have more successful community in the larger human community in America.
0: How do people come to grips with selling their child into prostitution for the purpose of actually having to live? I mean, if, Your choice, it seems, is an impossible choice.
2: Exactly.
0: Of either starving to death or selling your child to prostitution. How do people deal with that impossible choice? How terrible it must be to have to deal with an impossible choice like that.
2: Exactly. Yes. And I think um, I asked the same question when I first encountered. The first instant, I would think, like, if I were the parent, How can I do that, right? There's no way I can do that. And then you go sit down with those parents and listen to their story. They tell you that it's rather that my girl get to eat than starve to death. Now, how do you, now you have a different perspective, right? I think um, when I was reading uh, Stephen Covey's uh, book, he said, seek to understand, uh, then to be understood, right? We have to understand where they're at. Then we understand why they do what they do. Until we understand where they're at, we only see one perspective. And that's kind of how I was growing up in the U.S. Go back there, had totally different perspective. But then after you're sitting with them, now you have different perspective.
0: So you you live through that. And now it's about spending time in your life to try to make it right or to try to make it so that people don't have to deal with that anymore. And I expect that that's a lot of what motivated you to start your organization. And as you said, a lot of what you saw here in the United States because of the circumstances of the folk who came here without even a language that could be recorded in writing. And in America, some literacy is required just to function. And when you don't have any literacy at all, it's it's virtually impossible to move forward. But yet you started your organization to kind of help with this. How's it going?
2: It has been going really well. We launched it in 2017 and just, um, gearing up and then you know the pandemic hit. Yeah. And one of the things that I mentioned before because this community is not recognized when the resources coming to help the community, this community was left out. So our organization partnered with the state of Washington and a number of other community-based organizations to make sure that the information got to them. There was so much misinformation and disinformation during the pandemic about COVID-19 and the vaccination. So we've spent a lot of time helping the state navigate that with this community, as well as the current inflation just pushed the cost of food price skyrocketing. And many of the families actually work multiple jobs to make the ends meet. And this challenges them with uh, not having enough food on the table. So we partner with other organizations to create a food bank that we distribute food to this specific community where it's not being served by the mainstream food banks, as you will. Just being able to spot what is happening right now and what is not being met, the needs are not being met that we We're trying to fill that gap. And on the global initiative, we are building an Umean resource center, a virtual one uh, where one, Yumian can go there and get literacy uh, materials so they can learn about, uh, learn, read, and write the language. Secondly, it's for the non mien to actually go there to learn more about the Yumian people. Uh, It's kind of, very the foundation because like I mentioned the Yumean language it's been around only for a few years and there's only two books that are academically recognized publication that is the bible and the dictionary that's it so what we have to do is build more literatures that people can read and write in the Yumean language and that is the biggest initiative that we have right now at the global level
0: it's stunning that you've been here now for several generations and still um, there hasn't been both a recognition that your culture is here and and needs support but also it appears that there hasn't been the kind of cultural integration into american culture such that people can find a foothold and move forward and thrive. So I'm, I'm just hoping that your organization will be able to assist with that. And I hope that anyone listening who's taking an interest in this will reach out to you and provide you with some type of support so that you can do this work. And, you know, thank God for you, really, because if you're not doing this, I don't know who is. And, you know, we we think about why people start nonprofit organizations. They start for a whole variety of reasons. Many times those organizations don't succeed because the work they're trying to do is so hard. But yet when I look at what you're doing, while it's difficult, it's certainly achievable. Many different ethnic groups came here to this country with nothing and have been able to move forward To some extent to be able to take advantage of opportunities and to grow culturally and and uh, also economically. And I know this is possible in America, and I want to make sure that, you know, that obviously you do. And to make sure that uh, others know about it through this podcast so that you can get help to do this work, because what you're trying to do is achievable. It's definitely achievable. We're talking somewhere around how many people in the country here? You said about I
2: mean, yeah, 30,000. It's doable. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: we're we're getting, you know, I'm at the end of time now for, for our show today. But tell me again, your organization, the website, and how people can help.
2: Yes. The Min International Enrichment Network is the name of the organization. But our website is mienglobal.org that's m i e n global.org yes, that's right yeah people can go there and we have our website there we do have a social facebook presence as well uh, mien international enrichment network page and looking forward to connect with uh, other people who do similar work and and also looking forward to partner with other organizations to Advance communities in whether it's a financial literacy or just general literacy or community development. I think when we are partnering up, we can always do much more than just one person or one community. So it's always looking forward to collaborating.
0: I have some ideas. I have some ideas that we should talk after the show. Um, thanks to all of our listeners. You know you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and I hope you do. You've been listening to Jeff Thung, who is the founder and CEO of the Mien International Enrichment Network that works with the Yimian people here in the United States and around the world to improve their prospects for success. And I want to thank all of our listeners. And if you want to support the Heart of Giving podcast, you can do so by making a gift at give.org, G-I-V-E dot O-R-G, And we will certainly use that money for great purposes. Thank you all for
1: listening. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com bean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.